holy word to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter five. First Thessalonians, chapter five. We continue uh, looking together at this portion of God's holy word. First Thessalonians, chapter five, and our text today uh, is the last phrase of verse fourteen. And uh, be patient with them all. Uh, But to get the context, uh, we will go back and begin reading in verse 1. Hear now God's very word. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll stop there with the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as your little children, we come presenting ourselves to you this day. You have summoned us together 
And what joy we have, Lord Jesus, uh, to sit at your feet. Lord Jesus, your instruction, your teaching, your preaching is the only preaching that can do me or any of your dear lambs any good. And so we beg, O Lamb of God, that you would come by your Spirit this day. And you would take this, the very word of your mouth that we have read, that you gave by your Spirit uh, years ago, that you have preserved and kept, that you would take this word, your holy, infallible, inerrant word, and you would preach it to our hearts. You would open our eyes and give us ears to hear what you are saying, not only in that day, but in this day, to each of us. Lord, speak this, your very word, to us that we would have life in you, Lord Jesus, until you come. In Christ we pray. Amen. Be patient with them all. Well, first of all, uh, who is the them? Well, if you look at verse 14, um, we see, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We've seen that God has appointed those who are his messengers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to preach the gospel. And a faithful gospel preacher will be doing two things. Proclaiming the gospel, seeing God's little lambs gathered into the fold of Jesus, and then being God's message boy to feed the sheep, to nourish his lambs, to see his lambs feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the living word, through the written word of God opening up the scriptures. And we see that in verses 12 and 13, that the thing that those who would be over you in the Lord, there is one thing that they delight in and desire. And this is true not only for pastors and elders, it's true for parents. What is it, young people and children, that your parents delight in more than anything else. Well, just turn back with me to the book of 2 John, the little book of 2 John. And here is what God tells us in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. And so if you want to give joy to your mama and daddy, the thing that they desire more than anything else, it's not for you to grow up and get all kinds of fancy degrees, although that may be what God gives to you, but that's not what they are looking for. That is not what they yearn for and pray it's not that you would grow up to have some powerful position, although God may give you 
a powerful position as the world views things. But the thing that they desire, and this is true for not only parents, it's true for pastors, what is it that gives delight to the heart of those who have people under them? It is to find them walking in the truth. Over in the book of 3 John, just turn over, 3 John, Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so these practical everyday commands that we see following here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 are just some of the things that God is calling us to be doing as God's little children, to, with, and for one another that flow out of our saving union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we belong to Jesus, it changes the way we think and live and treat one another. When the blood of Jesus washes our sins away, God makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things are passing away and new things are coming to blossom and bloom more and more in our lives because of our being joined to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Savior who alone can give us life. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seeking to please God. And in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you see, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. At the end of chapter 4, Therefore encourage one another with these words. We have a ministry one to another. Well, he comes back to that theme. The end of verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. And verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And the them are these people, particularly in verse 14, that we've just been talking about. Those are the people particularly that God is calling upon us to be patient with. The idle, the faint-hearted, the weak, the idle. You remember we looked at who the idle were. Those were people who didn't see uh, uh, what God was calling them to do and they were engaged in serving the Lord in a useful way. Uh, they were idle, uh, not working hard for the glory of God and enjoying uh, the Lord's uh, uh, hand upon their life in, in their own hearts, in their homes, in the workplace. Uh, the faint-hearted, uh, those uh, who were tempted to give up, those who were straggling, 
and beginning to fall by the wayside. And the weak, uh, those who didn't understand uh, the Word of God uh, yet uh, completely, uh, those uh, who were uh, not in a position of, of power, uh, those who were uh, uh, little children or those who were in need uh, as a widow or an orphan. Well, what does patience mean? And we want to look at some passages of Scripture that uh, help us, I think, uh, see a little bit of this matter of, of patience. Uh, patience has to do with uh, waiting. Uh, patience has to do with endurance. Uh, patience has to do with um, dealing gently with those um, uh, while we are waiting on God to help them, to grow them. Um, patience. Uh, let's look, first of all, at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Uh, Matthew, chapter 18. And here's where our word is used. Um, the Lord Jesus had told his disciples in Luke chapter 17, uh, Beware, temptation uh, is sure to come, but woe to that man through whom temptation comes. And God warns us to not cause one of God's little ones who believe in him to stumble. Um, in that context, the Lord Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and comes to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles' response, Peter, he, well, just turn, keep your finger there, Matthew 18. Look at uh, Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> And we'll start reading in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, seven times, that's a lot. I mean, can you just picture you've, you, your, your husband or your wife uh, does something seven times in one day or your child does something seven times in one day, I mean, you'd be getting kind of weary after about the second time, the third time. you got to be kidding me. The fifth time? What is going on with you? Jesus tells us seven times. Well, what are the apostles' response? Look at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. They say, Jesus, you got to be kidding. I don't have enough faith to do that. And Jesus then tells them, Yes, you do, if your faith is in Jesus. He enables us to do what naturally we cannot do. What naturally we will not do. 
what naturally we will be repulsed from doing, and that is to forgive. Uh, when someone does us wrong, um, we want justice. But when we know the patience of God, we are enabled and moved to show the mercy that God has showered upon us to give just a little taste of that to the person who has done us wrong. And we are moved to say, I forgive you. And when God forgives, you remember those pictures that God paints for us in the Old Testament of what forgiveness is. When we confess our sins, Jesus removes that sin from the equation of our standing with God. It no longer is what determines how God deals with us. Uh, that sin in Psalm 103, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the West. That's how far He has removed our transgressions from us. Or we could go over to Isaiah chapter 1. Though your sins be as scarlet, just blazing red, when we confess our sin and Jesus' blood applies and covers our sin. God makes us as white as snow in his sight. Or uh, we could go over to the book of Mount, uh, uh, Micah chapter 7. And Micah asks a question. Who, well just turn there with me. I know you're running out of fingers. Where, uh, but we'll, we'll get back. Micah chapter 7. And here we have this amazing description in Micah chapter 7 of our God. Look at verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. And that word steadfast love is one of my favorite Hebrew words. When I was in seminary, it was one of the first words I learned in Hebrew. Chesed. And my Hebrew professor said, now I want you to just picture a camel spitting. And he said, that's how you can remember how to say this word. But oh, what a beautiful word this is. It's translated everlasting love or steadfast love or mercy. And here it tells us God delights in steadfast love. And it's the word that we find at the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy, everlasting love, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities 
underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God takes all the wicked things we've said and done and thought and casts them into the depths of the sea. Years ago, we went to Williamsburg and we were there uh, visiting uh, uh, the, the ships that came over. You remember the three ships? And our guys had walkie-talkies. And, and, you know, I don't know how deep the water was there, maybe eight feet deep, ten feet deep, something like that. And they were running around on this boat, and all of a sudden one of those walkie-talkies slipped off the clip of one of, one of these little guys' belts, and it went over the side of the boat. I was tempted for a split second to dive into the murky water. And then I thought, nah, it's not worth it. You know, I could just imagine the goo down in there. and It was gone. Just a few feet of water. Can you? Here's the picture of God taking our sins and casting them into the depth of the sea. Thousands and thousands of feet deep, just crushed. Those sins are gone. Uh, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Hebrews chapter 8 is my favorite. It quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, what the Lord had promised that he would do when Messiah would come in the new covenant. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. And here we have this lengthy quote. And I want you to look at the very end of this quote for the sake of time. Verse 12 of Hebrews 8. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And so when God forgives us in the Lord Jesus Christ, He doesn't remember our sins anymore. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that God is not going to dredge up those sins again. He will never bring them back to light. If they are covered with the blood of Jesus... They are no longer outstanding. And they will not be revisited again because they've been paid for. The debt is paid. They don't have to be renegotiated for settlement. God doesn't remember them against us. And that means He's not going to broadcast them to the universe. That's sweet. I, I promise you, if my iniquities were broadcast, it would not be good. <laughs> uh, God knows everything I've ever said and done and thought. And how can I put my head on the pillow at night and have peace? The blood of Jesus. And so, not only does God not bring them up, 
uh, he, he doesn't broadcast them. Uh, but amazingly, when he looks at me, that's not what colors how he views me. And when we forgive one another, we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. We are making a promise to that person. When we forgive them, I am not going to go around and tell everybody else, do you know what Henry did to me? If it's forgiven, it is settled. What a blessing. Husbands and wives and parents and children. When we forgive each other, it's a way for us to start all over with a clean slate. We're promising, I'm not going to bring this back up to you over and over. I'm not going to throw this back up in your face because it's forgiven. It's covered with the blood of Jesus. And when Satan would come and whisper in my ear, Henry, do you remember when so-and-so did that? I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to say, nope, I have forgiven them. And Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust you to help me to treat them in a way that honors you and pleases you. That's what we're doing. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. So Jesus tells his disciples seven times, and the apostles say, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Jesus says, nope. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea, and it would obey you. And then Jesus went on in Luke 17 and said, you have forgotten who you are when you think you don't have enough faith because you belong to me and you are to serve me in your dealings with people around you. Well, that's the backdrop to Matthew 18. And here we have in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now, why did Peter pick seven? Well, because Jesus had told them seven times in one day. And I'm sure Peter was waiting for Jesus to say, Hey, guys, I want you to stop what you're doing. Come on over here. Peter, repeat what you just said. Now, guys, I want you to listen. I want you to listen carefully to Peter's question. I'm sure that's what Peter anticipated would happen. He was waiting for Jesus to say, Peter, you got it. I am so proud of you, Peter. But that's not what Jesus tells Peter. Seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. And therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how much money this would be, but you can, in today's currency, it would be billions of dollars. How long would it take me to repay billions of dollars? Several lifetimes. I couldn't repay a debt like that. And so, verse 25, Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, and here's our word, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, mercy, for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, denarius is the equivalent of one day's wage. And a hundred days' wages, you know, that's no small amount, but compared to billions of dollars? I mean, you do the math. Whatever you would make in one day, multiply it by a hundred. It's nothing compared to what this man had just been forgiven, and he sees his fellow servant who owes him a hundred days' wages. What did he do? <laughs> and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And here's our word. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They go, man, the nerve of this guy. He's been forgiven this huge debt. And this small debt that was owed him, and he choked his fellow servant. And then when he said the same words that this rascal had just said, have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything, he said, no way, and threw him in prison until the debt was be paid. So they are aghast. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so what is a synonym for patience? What accompanies patience? The mercy of God. That we are willing to wait, to endure, to suffer. Because God has been so patient with us. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart 
So that sort of gives us a, a feel for this matter of patience. And so God is the one who has shown incredible patience to us, has he not? And because of that, God calls us now in the Lord Jesus Christ to show the patience he has given us, the gentleness, the tenderness, the kindness, the endurance that God has showered upon us with those around us. And particularly in this verse, that's across the board, but particularly there are these three categories that we looked at. And so let's think now what that looks like in practice. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, be patient with them all. Who's the them? Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Lord tells us how we are to be admonishing, teaching those who don't understand the Word of God completely or accurately. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what God told young Timothy. A young pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so uh, when your child uh, is not doing the work that they are supposed to do. Maybe their schoolwork, it may be a chore. Um, God wants us to admonish the idle, uh, to help uh, our children see from the Word of God the blessing and joy of work. That God not only has given us gifts that we can have playtime, that's good. But also that God made us to enjoy serving Him by exercising dominion. Working in a calling to serve the living God and to serve our fellow man. And how are we to do that? With complete patience. We're to be patient. Uh, God instructs us in His Word. We show them by our example. We show them by them looking at us and seeing us enjoying serving the Lord. And we say to our children and our grandchildren, come with me and, and let's serve the Lord together. You know, children pick up on things. And if... Uh, a person says, now life is living just to play. Uh, children pick up on that. But if they see you serving the Lord Jesus in your calling with joy, uh, you can show them and help them uh, learn the joy of serving the Lord together. Look over in First. 
Timothy. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, admonish the idle. Um, well, let's go ahead. First Timothy chapter 5. Uh, here, here we have some people who were idle. And they weren't working with their own hands and taking care of the elderly people in their own families. Now, how I praise God for the testimony of, of God's people in this congregation uh, who labor to take care of those uh, who are in need. But notice what the Apostle Paul did. He said in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. See, that's what patience looks like. It may be that you young people, you see uh, your, your own parent or, or grandparent. Or how are you going to correct them? Well, God says that you go very, very gently and humbly with patience uh, to correct. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so the Lord calls upon uh, us to be helping people see the truth. And that includes this thing of teaching with patience. Uh, we, we, it takes time uh, to help people, uh, to instruct people, uh, to be uh, uh, spending uh, uh, time in their presence so they see the gospel in action. One more passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Young people, what has God called you to focus on in these days? It's not your favorite video game. It is not what social media is saying. But it is for you to enjoy these days of living in a home where you are being taught of Jesus and being prepared for life. And you are learning from your mama and daddy and in a church family uh, being nurtured so that you, by the grace of God, will have everything you need 
to establish your own home in God's good time and have joy and happiness as you live for Jesus. Serving Him in your own heart as a part of God's people. Establishing your own holy Christian home and family and serving Jesus in a calling. And I want you to look in Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And God calls upon us to be those who are admonishing the idol with patience. And that means, children, young people, when your mama and daddy give you a job to do, they are loving you. And you ought to be excited to learn how to serve Jesus by doing work for his praise. That's part of what being patient with them all. We're admonishing the idol. And so that means that we as parents, we need to be patient in helping our children see the blessing and joy of chores and of work and being willing to have them work with us. You know, a lot of times it's easier to just do the, the job yourself, isn't it? But God wants us to be patient and to take little ones with us and show them. Be patient with them all. Well, what about the faint-hearted? Um, the Lord has given us the joy of living together. Husband, Wife, do you ever see your spouse discouraged? And what are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, boy, I'm, I'm kind of tired of living with a puddle glum. You remember puddle glum? You know, it's not much fun to live with puddle glum. So what are you going to do? Are you going to dish it back? If you're going to be a puddle glum, I'll be a puddle glum back. No. God says be patient with them all. And so uh, they're faint-hearted. Uh, they're, they're losing sight of the glory of God and of His goodness and kindness and mercy. And so what does God call us to do with the faint-hearted? To be patient as we come alongside and encourage and strengthen. Uh, encourage the faint-hearted. And we need to be patient in doing that. It means you pray for them. Uh, parents, do you ever get tired of dealing with a child that just seems to be doing the same thing over and over and over and over? And here's a child that's faint-hearted. You know, they've lost 
perspective. Uh, it may be in regard to one of their subjects. You know, their favorite subject may not be math or history. And what does God call us to do? To be patient with the faint-hearted. Um, help the weak. Well, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, it's, it's amazing. When, when he looked back over his life, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. And I've left my uh, cell phone someplace. I have no clue what time it is. What time is it? 12.20. It's time for me to stop. But let's just look at a couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop. Galatians chapter 1. And I want you to look. Here the Apostle Paul is testifying. Uh, he used to be a real weak man. Uh, he claimed he knew God, but even though he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee and knew the tradition of the rabbis, uh, he, he didn't love God. He didn't love his fellow man. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years... I went up. Now I want you to notice how he described himself. He, he said, here's what I used to be. But God had such patience with me. And when did his patience start? <laughs> when I was in the womb. This God, he was watching over me and taking care of me long before he even converted me, long before he opened my blind eyes to see the foolishness of trusting in man's traditions and the rituals of man that can save no one, the traditions of these rabbis. They could not save anybody. <laughs> and Paul says, oh, I'm just astounded at the patience of God. He who set me apart from my mother's womb. And then God didn't come and strike me dead when I was going and arresting and cheering on people to stone Stephen to death. And when I would go from town to town to arrest 
lovers of Jesus. Oh, God's patience. It is so amazing. I pray that we will not forget the patience of God. You know, it's easy for us when somebody comes and they say crazy stuff. And make no mistake about it, there's a lot of crazy stuff being said. But as we stand for Jesus, as we unbendingly stand upon the Word of God, we need to do so remembering how patient God has been with us. I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about bending anything that God has said in His Word. But we dare not forget what I was and would be to this day apart from the grace of God. You young people, many of you are so blessed and privileged to grow up in a Christian home. And many of you, your testimony is, I can never remember a day I didn't love Jesus. That's sweet. But be careful. Be careful. As sweet as that is, why do you have that? Why do you have that testimony? It's just the grace of God. And if God had not showered His grace upon you to have that sweet testimony you would be just as mixed up, just as vile, just as crazy thinking and crazy living as the people that you see parading around in our culture today who are warring openly against the Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient. Because God has been patient with us. And it takes wisdom and grace to put this into practice. We don't want to compromise ever God's standard of right and wrong. So we can't say to somebody who's caught in sexual immorality, oh, that's okay. But we need to be patient. We need to show the gentleness of Jesus. We need to understand that if it wasn't for God's grace, we're capable of being and doing anything that you see going on in this circus in which we live. Oh, God has been so patient to us. And you have been very patient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Write it upon our hearts. Lord, give us, Lord, a renewed sense of the incredible patience and mercy that you have given to us. Lord, uh, it rightly could be my blood splattered on your kingly garments. But you were willing to shed your blood so that I might be spared. And that's true for every one of us who belong to you this day by your grace. Lord God, capture our hearts anew 
to stand in amazement and awe of you and to treat those around us with the holy gentleness and patience that you have given us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.